Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And Messi puts it down the right side. Lionel Messi from the penalty spot makes it 2-0 for Argentina and all but seals their passage into the semi-finals. Five-man wall for Argentina. Maybe the last kick of the game. Coat Miners rolls it in, set play. Oh, oh my goodness! They've done it, the Netherlands! Oh. It's Wout Weghorst again! Latado Martinez for Argentina. He scores! And the blue and white dream is still alive! in the central lanes, one, two with Rodrigo, Neymar continues on, Pacata, back to Neymar, inside the box, Neymar, around the keeper! Brazil, in extra time, it's that star man, Neymar! Over towards Odyssey, on the left side of the box, cuts across back, first time shot is taken! And Croatia do find the equaliser! They take a right-footed shot, Marquinhos, he's hit the post! He's hit the post, and it's out! Brazil have been eliminated! Brazil are gone, it is over, and Croatia live on. What an extraordinary, extraordinary morning of football. Hello and <laughs> welcome to the Global Game. So excited, uh, myself, Adam Peacock, Scott McDonald. I can barely get my words out, mate. That was worth the early rise. It happens once every four years. Moments like this are meant to stand out, but wow. What about those two games and those two finishes, Scotty? Well, I tell you what, yesterday I was asking for more drama, more memorable moments. My goodness, uh, they certainly showed me this morning, didn't they? It was wonderful stuff. And defy Croatia as much as you like. They just keep coming and keep getting the results. They got hearts of lions. It's just, it's so fascinating, this this nation and, and what they they managed to do and from the last World Cup to this one, uh, which we'll touch on. But just a wonderful morning of football all around, Adam. Yeah, both games going to penalties. Uh, Jordan Canulis, he, he, I think he's vocal cords right now and needing a rest before tomorrow's two quarterfinals. Fantastic calling by himself and uh, Roddy Vargas on SEN. They, they captured those moments, especially the Netherlands, which we'll get to, the, the free kick in the, oh, what was it, the 100th minute of regular time to force it to extra time. Drama all over the place. But, Scott, we will start, as, as dramatic as the Netherlands and Argentina was, we will start this episode of The Global Game and you can catch us at, at Global Game SEN on Twitter and uh, give us your thoughts as well. With the favourites going out, um, very few, maybe the 4 million people in Croatia, the, the, the country the size of two-thirds of Sydney and Melbourne, are through to another a semi-final. Maybe they had some hope and expectation, but uh, Brazil crashing out. How? How did it happen, mate? Like I said, you know, right... Croatia off at your peril, you know, the the, the passion, um, the work ethic they show um, and the quality that they possess as well. Let's, let's not get that wrong. I know Brazil dominated this match. However, they've still got some special players and they've just got that, that togetherness, haven't they? That, Like I touched on yesterday, seven out of their last eight before this game 
of knockout stage games that Croatia have been a part of have gone to extra time. They know how to do it. They've been there before um, and they've done it again. You know, this is the second time now, this competition. They're just, just you just can't write them off. Um, and I said it was going to be a tight game. I didn't think Brazil would have it all their own way. Yes, they dominated the ball, but I knew Croatia would make it difficult for them to break them down. Um, and it took all that, that time till extra time and what a goal it was from Neymar. Um, fantastic finish. Just, you know, what he does and, and he thinks, here we go, we're going to a semi-final. My dreams of perhaps making a semi uh, a final are almost there, but the way that they lost it in the end, it's just incredible, isn't it? Yeah, and, and again, that just shows the desire and um, the passion of the Croatians and never say die that, you know, they never gave up and they got that one chance and, and they took it and, and and then again, taking it to penalties and, and uh, that man in goal coming up trumps again, Lukakovic. Yeah, uh, Dominic Lukakovic, um, it's just amazing what he's been able to, out of Dinamo Zagreb as well. It's not as if he's playing for a, a massive club in one of the big leagues. It's a massive club in Croatia, obviously, and given world football so much in terms of the players that have come through that club. But uh, not entirely sure he'll be outside the big five leagues after this World Cup, especially considering when it gets to penalties. But before that, allowing it to get to penalties for Brazil, how much will they look back on that moment where somehow, Scotty, they managed to allow themselves to be in transition, trying to defend four on four with Croatians surging forward, sensing an opportunity. That was game manage, management that belongs in the bin for the Brazilians, surely. Absolutely. You know, and they, they, we like this attacking flair of Brazil and, um, you know, the way that they like to play positive football. But in the dying minutes of the game, and you give that, but we've seen it in both games in terms of the, the mind combusts. Argentina did it, you know, for the free kick as well, just silly fouls, but, and putting yourself into silly situations. And, and Brazil did that in that moment. But did I think for a minute that they would miss... Um, you know, the penalty that they did to, to not go through. Uh, I, honestly, penalties are 50-50, we know that. But, um, you know, once again, we've seen the team that with, with the least possession um, and the least shots on goal win, win the game. How many times have we seen that in this World mm. Cup? It's been unreal. It's been phenomenal. I tell you what, Scotty, being there at the grounds and now watching on television, you really get an appreciation for the conditions playing a part in these games because... Think about it. How many times have you seen a team caught out in behind? Now, Graham Arnold mentioned this, that the conditions are different because of the air conditioning, the humidity in the air, and that, mm. that little bit of dampness on the pitch. It's impossible to get caught out, unless it happens like on halfway, to get caught out in behind. So that then allows the defensive blocks to be that, you know, that little bit higher, compressing the space. Higher. And that makes it a bit harder to play through. Obviously, it takes something special like a Neymar, but have you noticed that along the along the way of this World Cup, that it's a little bit different and it's making these teams who set up really well defensively, like a Morocco, like a Croatia, really hard to break down? It's a really interesting point you make and uh, obviously with the, the scientific side of the things uh, taking its part with the air conditioning, the moisture in the air, the moisture on the pitch, uh, the ball flying through, you know, to you know the goalkeepers who can play a little bit of a high line, higher line as well and be that sweeper. Um, I think in some games you might be right, Adam, but I think in others I think it's just teams are predominantly low blocking, really low mm. blocking. Uh, even you know 
inside their box. It's difficult to, it's difficult at any time to to get in behind. I don't think in international football we see a lot of, uh, at any level, you know, balls getting in behind defenses very much, uh, particularly the, the higher levels we go because, I think, the respect is there so much with with each team that you play against that you even seen in moments uh, the second game as well where Argentina dominated for big spells then then the Dutch dominated for big spells because you sit off um, you're not willing to to press the life out of it in in these stages of the competition as well because of the fatigue levels and and not having enough in the tank to to the end of the game and you want to be defensively solid so I think that plays its part as well. What about the other semi uh, quarterfinal, mate? It felt like a semi-final. There was so much riding on it. Netherlands to Argentina <laughs> too. They, they bring out the worst in each other in a way, emotionally. These two, it, it's fun to watch for a neutral. Yeah. But how um, how did it fall either way for you, mate? What, what will the Netherlands look back on with a bit of regret? And conversely, Argentina in terms of well, we got away with that. Yeah, there's a little bit of housery, wasn't there, on on both ends of the stick there <laughs> throughout the game. It, 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 it was it was driving me insane at points, and um, I'm all up for gamesmanship. You know that you've seen me play Adam, many a time, and it's part of, it's part and parcel of the game. Uh, now I know why so many people hated me, though, <laughs> because you know when you're when when you're out there, it's different to when you're actually watching it. And you're going, oh, he's he's at it there. What's he? What's the referee seeing? You know, and that was the thing for me that. The game was brilliant, but it could have been all so much better. If the referee had to just let it go a little bit more, we would have seen even more of the passion and whatnot. There was one situation there when Messi scored, he, uh, scored the penalty that the Netherlands go down the other end. The ball gets crossed in. De Jong goes up for the ball. Martinez catches it clearly. There's no contact. And then Martinez wants to start a brawl just to slow the game down. And he actually get the referee gets sucked in. and he, I don't know how many times he blew his whistle at that point and absolutely no one was listening to him. Kept yeah. blowing it, kept blowing it. I'm like, mate, get a hold of the game. Just get on with the game. Stop making yourself the biggest factor within the game. Blow it and say, get the ball down and let's play. My goodness. It, do you know what it felt like? Poor old Antonio Lahod, the um, the referee. He's a very good referee in Spain. It, it felt like the Friday Arvo last class of the week in high school and in comes the substitute teacher who has no control whatsoever of the class as that game went on mm. 14 yellow cards and not one red. So it wasn't like everyone was listening. So it was, yeah. a, it was frustrating. That's it. But in a way that, that brought out the best in the drama as well. You had Paredes going over to well, try and clean up the Dutch bench with the missile that he sent their way. It was just, it was on. <laughs> I know, how many, how many Argentinians got, uh, yellow carded from the bench as well there was a, there was a couple one there and and then then there was people getting you know yellow cards on the bench for the dutch as well and look messi doesn't get booked for a handball that he clearly makes he books two others for a handball before that it was just ridiculous but what an occasion what a what a game itself and how the dutch come back and that free kick at the end that that's a free kick we'll remember for for a lot of world cups is that the best set piece you've ever seen in a big game i, I can't think of one surely there's other ones that have been as brilliant in terms of Ooh, one strike. Yes. Wow. Uh, Zanetti versus England, Argentina, France, 98. That's probably the one for me that yeah. really, really sticks out. And it, and it was so similar mm. in how it was, you know, taken. That one was Zanetti. I think it was Zanetti. No backlift. It was like a little reverse, touch, bang. And it was a little, very, very similar. And when I seen the three Dutch lining up, again, you know, next to the uh, Argentinian wall, 
it, it was like, what are they trying to block the line of the keeper? I wasn't sure what was going on with that. Um, and then uh, just uh, no one expected that. Everyone thought he was just going to go over the wall. Um, mm. I think it was Cooper might as one that had it. And it's just a wonderful revert. And you've got to give it off to Vigor's first touch and yeah. then to get it on the swivel with that pressure as well. I think it was Otamendi that was trying to get back. But what drama. What drama. I was off my seat at that point. I even woke up my whole family yeah. because I was like, oh, my goodness. Like, here we go. This is on now. I couldn't b- believe it because it was Argentina. Is it 2-0? You're going, I'm going to go and get a shower and get yeah. ready for the day. Um, and then it's 2-1. I'm going, oh, hold on a minute. Here we go. And, and then the drama, extra time. But Argentina looked like the team that were going to win it from there. Uh, I thought Argentina mm. was so unlucky in extra time. And um, you have to say overall in the piece, probably deserved it. Just edged it in my eyes. Well, let's hear now from Emmy Martinez, who was superb in the penalty shootout. Big save to start things off for Argentina, giving them the advantage in the shootout, which they eventually capitalised on and, and going through to the semi-final. Um, he was obviously one of the few Argentinians who speak fluent English, and uh, he didn't exactly sit on the fence when it comes to the refereeing performance and some words from Louis van Gaal. Argentina, can you sum up your feelings after that tonight? Oh, it's a tricky game, man. I thought we controlled the game really well. We went 2-0 up. Basically, we controlled the game. The, the ref was just giving everything for them. Uh, all of a sudden, they get a good header, good flick, which I couldn't see. Uh, and then it just it turned upside down. The ref was giving everything for them. He gave 10 minutes. For, for no reason, 10 minutes. It was giving free kick outside the box for them like two, three times. He just wanted them to score that. That's, that's basically it. So hopefully we don't have that ref anymore. He's, he's useless. Okay. But when you got to the penalty shootout, what's the thinking going into the spot kicks? No, Did you have it all planned I heard, out? I heard uh, Van Gaal saying, uh, we got an advantage in penalties. Uh, if we go to penalties, we win. I think he needs to keep his mouth shut. Okay. Going forward now, Croatia in semi-finals. How you feeling about that? It's a tough game. Every single game is tough. So uh, we enjoy today and then we'll see tomorrow. There he is, Emmy, the fence sitter, Martinez. <laughs> <laughs> After that interview uh, on, I think it was BN Sports, who, the, the interviewer there was just trying to move things along. Oh, okay. Um, I'll try and ask a really polite one. You can be polite now if you want, pal. But hey, uh, Leo Messi's had it at a pop it as well. We think at Van Hull in the tunnel mid interview, too. So passion's running high after the game, Scotty, which you can understand. The Argentinians are a passionate lot. Mm, they are. And uh, look, I think both sides will play the, the mind games or we're trying to, particularly Louis van Gaal, before the game. Um, that's what he does really, really well. Um, if you see the motion still... Uh, sorry, the, the, the still photos of um, the celebrations mm. straight away from the penalty kicks, all the Argentinian players aren't interested in anyone else bar the Dutch players and goading them, you know, after they win the the game itself, you know. So it was, it was for me, I, I didn't like it. I didn't like it. I don't like that because you've beaten them anyway. But um, it just shows you how much it means and how, how much edge there was on that game as well. And I reckon before that game, there was a lot of edge, how it felt at the end of it. Look, you can see from Martinez's side because you're always – one-eyed in that moment because it's siege mentality. You're, mm. you know, if you're Argentina, you see it your way. Same for the Dutch; they'll see it that way. I don't agree with Martinez on it though. I kind of think it was the other way round. I kind of think at times, I think with Lionel Messi being in the Argentinian team, I think they get a lot of leniency. I think he's just a bit upset because of the yellow cards in the end that they got for their stupidity and trying to slow the game down. There's ten minutes there for me. 
because of the the housery that was going on. Yeah. So I, I like the fact that in all these games we are getting this drama because no one is allowed to play the gamesmanship that they have in previous World Cups or tournaments gone by. We're getting the minutes now because if you're going to waste time, we're going to add it. You know, regardless if they think it's for VAR or not, right, we're going to give the extra time now and it's causing all sorts of drama and I am absolutely for it and I'm loving it. Totally agree, Scotty, and hopefully it's a worldwide thing, not just at big tournaments. They they implement it throughout the world because some of the extra time that's that's given or injury time is given, absolute joke. So drama are plenty in those two quarterfinals. We're going to take a quick break here on the global game. You're listening to the global game thanks to Kraken.com, trusted by 9 million crypto customers worldwide. Kraken.com, broadcast sponsor of SEN's coverage of the FIFA World Cup 2022. We're going to talk a bit later in the show, the preview to tomorrow's quarterfinals, but up next, we'll have a little bit of a deep dive into the comments from James Johnson about the state of football Australian, where to now, especially when it comes to development and maybe making the game cheaper. The daily edition of During This Magnificent World Cup. Welcome back. Adam Peacock and Scott McDonald with you. Today's hot topic, thanks to Guzman E. Gomez, um, and it's all about fast food that athletes say yes to. And, hey, Scotty, if there's two things me and you are, it's athletes, absolutely. Um, This is audio from uh, the tournament CEO of the World Cup, Um, so the the Supreme Committee, if you like. It's an ominous-sounding... organization that they've got, NASA Al-Qatar, who came out and said this in regards to a, uh, a death of a worker. I think it was in the, the Saudi Arabian setup during the World Cup. This is what he had to say. We're in the middle of a World Cup and we have a successful World Cup. And this is something that you want to talk about right now. I mean, death is a natural part of life, whether it's at work, whether it's uh, in, your, in your sleep. Of course, a worker died. Um, our condolences go to his family. Uh, however, you know, I mean, it's, it's strange that this is something that you wanted to focus on as your first question. There is real angst between the Western media and the local organisers, Scott. But in saying that, was that the way to handle it from uh, NASA right there? Absolute stupidity at its best. I think he should have reversed how he actually spoke there. He should have started with the condolences and, and to the family. And um, it's a serious issue, but... You know, we're talking about the World Cup here. He could have fobbed it off that way a lot better. But, yeah, it's, it's not exactly the most remorseful way to, to deal with things, is it? You know, and, and I guess they are on edge because they feel that everything that's coming out from the Western media side is negative. But it's a question that has to be asked. It's happened while the tournament's going on. It would happen at any tournament that that question would be asked. Yeah, it's death, for goodness sake. It's not much more of a full stop than death. So, yeah, it was... Uh, do you reckon... Briefly, Scott, and we'll touch on this next week probably a bit more, but do you reckon Qatar have got what they wanted out of this World Cup so far? Um, that's a really good question. I'm not too sure. I mean, we talked about it off air yesterday about legacies and whatnot, but we talk about previous World Cups, Russia and Brazil. Have they left legacies as well? That's questionable also. So even South Africa to a, to a degree. So... Um, I'm not quite sure what they've actually got out of this. Um, it, I mean, the, the stuff on the pitch has actually, you know, been great, but mm. there's been a lot of negativity off it. So I don't think that's really helped their cause. Uh, that was the hot topic today. We'll, we'll delve into that as the the, the week goes on as well, because it, it, it is a big topic about what is left in Qatar. Do things change in the way that the, the organisers envisaged out of hosting a World Cup? On their soil. That was uh, Guzman E. Gomez, the hot topic of today, home of clean, healthy burritos, bowls that athletes say yes to. Now to James Johnson, who was on uh, SEN 
in the last couple of days. He spoke to Mornings with Matty White in Sydney um, about the landscape and how it might have twisted in football's favour out of the World Cup and the Socceroos' magnificent run to the round of 16. And obviously... When things like this happen, Scott, we start thinking big and then work back. We, no sport thinks bigger in Australia and get, it goes wider quicker than football and say, what does it all mean type thing. I'll get your thoughts on this comment from James Johnson about the, the cost of player development because it's something you're right across in, in the NPL landscape in Australia. Um, here was the, here's the Football Australia CEO on that topic. It is a challenge, but we really need to be specific here because I, I feel like there's a general perception, um, but I'd like to be specific with how we answer that. Um, we are the biggest community sport, the biggest club sport in the country by a mile. In the most part, community football is is very reasonably priced. The issue is, the challenge is, in a small but important part of our ecosystem, it's in the elite levels, it's the NPL level. And this is where you see the registration fees that are sometimes $2,000, and it's too high. But we we, we need to be clear that this area, this problem is at the NPL level, not the general community level. Most community uh, clubs um, cost around two, three, four hundred dollars $400 per year, which is pretty um, competitive compared to other sports. But also where we can add value is, is looking at ways that we can create alternate pathways um, so that no uh, children um, have have barriers in in front of them in the elite pathways. And that's something that we're looking at. Uh, We'll be coming out with a plan of attack to reduce the cost of of elite football uh, in Australia and create new uh, pathways for those um, could move forward and, and, and perhaps the NPL is a barrier for. It is. Uh, totally agree with James there. And, and the, the grassroots is one thing, and you can discuss that all day long. Mm-hmm. But I think when we're, we're linking it to Socceroos, you, you've got to pin it to the elite pathways. Because I'd hate to think, Scott, I've paid 22 grand over 10 years for my son. I would hate to think that we're missing out on a Garan Quoll or a, a, a Kai Rolls coming through the system because mum and dad go, you know what, it's too damn expensive for my kid to be playing elite youth football. It's a horrible thought. Yeah, look, I'll put you on the spot, though. What have you got back for that 22K? Well, what's the difference you've seen? Have you actually seen the, the development of your son throughout that 22 grand that's been expended? Oh, it's an unanswerable question because you, you don't know what the alternative mm. was because he's been through it. But I will say that, yeah, I've, I've had a bit of input. We, we go down the park and kick a lot. You get as much out of that. I encourage him to go and play with his mates, just some free football, the, the street football that we all talk about that's missing in our environment. But... The flip side is he's learnt, you know, tactically from different coaches and he's made good mates. He's filled in some time, which is important in teenage years. It's an expensive way of doing it. But yeah. I, I don't I don't look at that as twenty two grand flush down the toilet, but I do question whether or not it needs to be that expensive. Yeah. The other question James is talking about opening up new pathways then. Well, what's the pathway for your for your son, Adam? Have you seen a clear uh, evident pathway where you know where he's going next. You know how he gets to the elite level. Because for me, I, I think I know the answer. I think it would be an uh, absolute no. Um, and that's my frustration. I keep banging my head off the wall and going, well, hold on a minute, FA. Hold on a minute, State Feds. You, you've, got, you've got the power. You've got the option. You talk about elite level then, then cap it. Cap the, the amount that, that teams are allowed to actually charge per player. Mm. All right? That's a start. Right, and then 
don't let the MPL be the be-all and end-all, which it is right now. We've got academies at A-League level. However, I'm one that's totally against A-Leagues having academies because they can't do it right. right? And I'll throw my neck out on the line and people, the people will disagree that within A-Leagues. They don't have the finances to do it. You go over to Europe, you go over to, to the UK and you see the amount of expenditure, you see the amount of that, that's put behind those academies, right? And what you have to do at, at, by the FA's uh, levels to actually be at, at the, the type A, the top of the level academy over there, right? And the infrastructure that you need. Mm. We've got A-League teams that don't even have training grounds. So how on earth are we going to unearth the next talent, right, uh, of academy level when we haven't got the right facilities for them? So let the state feds and the FA take over again. And let's go back to scratch again from where it was. It can't go back to where I was, but we can take good things from, from those periods and have those pathways. Like regionals, like state teams should be very, very seen as the elite level. That's the pathway for my son. He's playing in PL, but if he gets in the state team, he's one step closer to being part of an elite uh, elite group. And then they go into the Joey's camps and everything else. That's how you get picked. There's always going to be a thunderbolt from somewhere, Adam, right? You're always going to get that, that unknown one that comes from nowhere, yeah. right? But the, you're not going to miss as many if you have that in place, from my opinion. Yeah. We've just gone away from that. And I don't know how the Joey's are actually picking their players anymore. Yeah, you, you, I get the feeling that there's there's a real appetite for young players who are of an elite level to look at overseas immediately. In, in terms of 17, 18, especially if they can get the passport, the European passport or the British passport and, and skip the bottleneck, which emerges. And that's my frustration as well. There's a, there's a giant bottleneck. Um, is that a kind of have I reverse myself there? There's a giant bottleneck. You know what I mean? Um, it all, it all funnels into nowhere because 16 to 19 year olds don't play enough games against elite, elite level um, situations. No, no, they don't. They don't. But, but also as well, Adam, you know, the, the state feds as well, they're guilty of charging kids. You know, the, they have their talent IDs, right? Their talent IDs. And parents have to pay the four or $500 for their sons to actually be in there. That's meant to be an elite level next stage, right? And you're asking parents, right, to fork mm. out money. Why? Why Why on earth, as a parent, if my son is good, or think about if it was me, my parents couldn't have afforded that. Right? I just I, I just get angry when I hear that, that everyone wants to charge, 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 charge anywhere and everywhere we can. Let's just charge. Right? Mm. It has to stop at some point, right? And let the kids play and let the elite grow and get better and actually fund it, right, with the best coaches and the best facilities to allow them to then grow. It's just not happening right now. It's a complex, complex issue. And to undo what's now to, to set up why you want is going to take a few years. This is the other thing just before we go on to the next one is that, right, so how many MPL teams you got in, in New South Wales? How many MPL teams you got in Queensland? How many MPL teams have you got in, in Victoria, right? So they've got SAP. They've got their MPL phases. Are you telling me that every single team has got about 15 quality coaches at their disposal or even 10, mm. right? So you're telling me that we're going to have to pay money for, well, because you're getting better coaching. But are we really? Are we really? Apart from giving out a lollipop license, and I'm sorry, because at times that's what it's like. Because again, that's a money maker, giving out licenses here, there, and everywhere now. That there's no fundamentals behind it, but I've got one, so that makes me a good coach. Does it really? What are we doing in the background to make them better? Mm. Is there still the CP? Yes, there's CPDs, but again, that's more money. So it's just a tick in a box. Are we actually out there improving our coaches as well as our players? That's a big question. Good question as well, Scott. So um, that discussion is it's probably about as wide a topic that exists in Australian football. To narrow the focus a little bit more, something that James touched on with Matt White as well, was the Arnie situation. So Graham Arnold 
according to James Johnson, he spoke to me as well just before I left Doha. Yes, we're going to talk to Graham Arnold, but no, we're not just going to go, bang, here's your contract, let's get it done in, in a week. We want to have a full review of the whole four years and then map out how we want the next four years to look like. It, it sounds like a very considered, um, not conservative approach, but very, very much meticulous in terms of the way that they want to plan. What do you make of it, Scott? Would you go that way or would you just go to Arnie, what do you want? Let's wrap it up and move on. No, I think there has to be uh, somewhere where they meet in the middle with this one. I, I think because the, the FA, like I, I touched on before, when we were talking about this, that they'll have their ideas on how they have to, you know, move forward as a as an FA and tick certain, you know, boxes uh, within that. And Arnie will have his ways as a head coach. A head coach always has their own individual thoughts and uh, ways of how they want to go about everything. Like they want to control everything. The problem being is, though, if you allow a head coach to control everything, when he leaves, where does that leave you? Mm. So there has to be somewhere of a middle ground that he can work with the FA or someone else as well and move everything forward and, and hopefully collectively. And if they can do that, then great, because I think Graham's probably now, you know, for me, the, the, still the number one you know, choice and candidate. He's he's had more. He's got more power now than he mm. ever has in the four years that he's been in charge. So it'd be interesting to see in negotiations, power is obviously one of the best things that you can have in your pocket, how he uses that in negotiations. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you know that when you when you win and when you do well, you know you've got a little bit more, you know, power in the discussion and the conversation as well. And you'll, you'll push and poke the bear a little bit more. So I'm expecting he'll get a couple of wins here or there, but it, it won't be fully across the board. Always interesting in Australian football. And thanks for those thoughts, Scott. It's, it's made me think as well. As well, which is um, hopefully I don't hurt myself. Anyway, uh, before we go to the break, um, <laughs> let's get an odds update. Thanks to Betfair. Find better odds on the World Cup at Betfair. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Thanks, Adam. Yeah, only six teams left for the FIFA World Cup winner. Thanks to Betfair.com.au. Head to Betfair.com.au for all the latest. Currently, Argentina are favourites, $2.88. You can lay them at $2.90. France, $4.60. Lay them at $4.70. We've got England, third favourites at $6. Portugal, $6.20. Croatia, $11. Morocco, $40 there in that market. Obviously, we've got a couple of games coming up. Thanks to Stats Inside. You can head over to betfair.com.au forward slash hub for all the latest. Just uh, search FIFA World Cup. We bring up the model for Stats Insider. Obviously, two big games coming up. Morocco versus Portugal. England versus France. England go into the match at $3.10. France, $2.60. The draw at $3.35. While Stats Insider have got France favourites at $2.58, they're actually against the draw. That's probably the biggest lay there at the $3.40. They've got England and France marked shorter than the current model. So... You can either back England, you can either back France, but uh, the bet there is to lay the draw there at $3.40. Morocco-Portugal Morocco, also coming up. Portugal into that Portugal going to that favourites at $1.77, at $1.78 to lay. They've got Morocco marked shorter, that's inside of $5.04 against the, the price currently at $6. So that's the bet there. Head to betfair.com.au for all the latest odds on the FIFA World Cup. That update, thanks to Betfair. Don't settle for the odds given. Find better odds on the World Cup at Betfair. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Back in a moment on the Global Game.
Yeah, welcome back uh, to the global game. Thanks to Kraken.com, trusted by 9 million crypto customers worldwide. Kraken.com, broadcast sponsor of SEN's coverage of the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022. Now, Scott, yesterday we uh, had a little chat about the AFC Confederation and um, your thoughts on their World Cup. Today we're going to go to Africa and uh, we should have got the Shakira song from 2010 <laughs> in. Uh, uh, that waka waka ear ear. No, I've heard that enough times in my life. Um, Scott, <laughs> you, you were over there actually, weren't you? You're hearing that every five seconds. Um, how, what do we think of the Africa Confederation and their performance at this World Cup with the knowledge that Morocco, as we sit here right now and chat about it, Morocco are still in the World Cup? Mm. Yeah, look, it's it's always a mixed bag with with the African nations, and you're never quite sure from one game to the next how they're going to turn up and play. I, I suppose that's the real interest and the wonder of them, and and why I actually enjoy watching them so much as well because they're so unpredictable in in how they play, and and some of them the teams are very free spirited, like the Ghanaians, um, sometimes ill disciplined don't work as a unit. There's a lot of things politically going on in the background. I think we've seen in the last World Cup, uh, it may have, forgive me, it might be Cameroon or it might have been Senegal in terms of the, the, the cash that they were owed um, and they were going to go on strike and then all of a sudden there was bags of cash outside the hotel rooms <laughs> given to them to play the game itself. You know, the FA holding money from them. There's just so many other things going on the outside that, that really affect these teams, I think, um, you know, come these World Cups and mm. some of the political things that go on in the background. Oh, mate, I, I remember in 2014, the Cameroon team hotel was next to where we were staying. And seriously, they had like a delegation of 400 it was insane mm. that the money does, doesn't seem to be going to the right areas. But on the pitch at this World Cup, and you're going to kill me after this as well because I, I mentioned 2010. Um, that was when Pim did you over. So I'm sorry to bring that up as well. <laughs> <laughs> I brought up some bad memories. That's all right. I've had one. That went, that went straight over my head. No, I but... got a whack a whack before we got there. <laughs> Anyway, we digress. Uh, now, in, in all seriousness, the, the, Tunisia and Morocco being there, they brought so much life because it, to them it was a, world, a home World Cup because they've got that Arab heritage as well. It's, yeah. it's, and Morocco really yeah. embraced that fact and they're, they're hoping and there's a lot of expats that live in Doha. But those two teams in particular, we, we know that the North African, we, they've historically been known for a bit of flair, but there's, there's real steel about them. Um, Lahoudi, the yes. midfielder for Tunisia, he was a lunatic. He was so good to watch. Um, Lahoudi, yeah. his name was, sorry. And and the Moroccans, they've got some cult heroes out of this as well. They just seem a team with so much personality, both of them. They do, and the stories that are coming out, and I think it was the Moroccan midfielder, forgive me, I, I can't think of his name right now in terms of talking about you know, why he does this and, and the emotions after and going to his, his mum and his, his family in terms of what they've sacrificed for him. And it's always nice to get these, these background stories because at the end of the day, every single one of those players that are playing are human and, and have a story. And, um, you know, this is what the World Cup's all about, bringing dreams uh, to, to life um, and, and not all about the riches um, but the riches to, you know, the rags, the riches within the stories of, of the game of football and it's for everyone. Um, and these Moroccans, like you said, you, you would always, I played with a couple of Moroccans and they're very flary and 
very individual and, and like to do the ill-disciplined things. But this team, my goodness, they've, they've got a real steal, like you said, and discipline about themselves. I only considered one goal so far in the tournament. Mm. Um, have a wonderful record, you know, just keep clean sheets for fun. And I think we're going to see more of the same, uh, you know, against Portugal um, to, tomorrow morning for sure. Um, but overall for the Africans, it's probably a disappointing uh, tournament, you'd have yeah. to say. But it's, it's not the first time we've seen this. I, I actually have got a theory, and, and I think Alex agrees with what he's put in the rundown, is that their qualification process doesn't help because they end up with the, all like five two-leggers to get five two teams. The economy Bowl one is the, the fairest one. Big, wide group. And I know Africa's got a stack of teams, and I don't know if they, they split the groups and have two groups of 10 and have 20 nations going in. And now that we've mm-hmm. got an expanded World Cup, do it that way because cause head-to-head, you, you don't end up sometimes with the best – like Egypt – like Mo Salah, Egypt, they yep. surely deserve to be in this World Cup on the basis of the other African teams there. But they miss out because, you know, they, they bump into another good side in the head-to-head and some of the other ones aren't as, aren't as strong. Uh, look, I totally agree with that. Um, you know, I think that qualification process is, is very, very difficult. And, and like you said, over that course, anyone then you know, can get through to, to the World Cup almost um, and those two-legged playoffs. And, and the likes of Egypt obviously missing out is, is yeah, it, it's a shame because you want to see the likes of Salah there. And But again, it goes down to politics again, Adam, in terms of trying to change that. I, I think there'll be a lot of, uh, you know, Push political back. Yeah. throwback from that, from the African, yeah, from, from African nations going, no, 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 we like this. And, mm. and you talk about the delegations and the amount of money that are spent elsewhere and, and going back into grassroots. We're having our discussion about that. It's probably the similar discussions going on in Africa as well of where, where those finances actually go when these teams qualify for World Cups. We're off to a quick break on uh, the global game, the World Cup edition. Thanks to Kraken.com, your secure crypto partner. Get in the game at Kraken.com, broadcast sponsor of SEN's coverage of the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022. We'll continue the discussion about Morocco in particular and a quarterfinal preview there, one against Portugal and England-France after this. Towards Enzo Fernandes, dances around Fernandes, gets a cutback. Oh, Argentina, it's saved! The chance was there for Lautaro Martinez. And somebody, somewhere, threw a body part in front of the shot. Rodrigo, oh, was that a hand from Gradiol? Play goes on. Brazil, Pacatar with the shot. And parried away by Livakovic. On the end of the Richarlison pass, Neymar, it's saved. Livakovic again. Rodrigo, the right foot. He comes up and it's saved by Dominic Livakovic. Welcome back to the Global Game on SEN. And uh, don't forget Schnitz, the best hands in the schnitzel business. Schnitz, handcrafted schnitzels. I dare say our Croatian and Argentinian friends out there, thanks to their goalkeepers' heroics this morning in the penalty shootouts, will be getting on a schnitz into their hands and not even using the cutlery and getting involved that way. But uh, let's have a look ahead to the two quarterfinals coming up uh, tomorrow night, early tomorrow morning, Australian time. First up, Scott, Morocco-Portugal. Can you imagine that Morocco do what they did against Spain, let Portugal have it? And then just try and hit him on the counter, be really, really tight, and close the lines. Is is that how it plays out, or is it going to be a little more open? Mm, uh, do you know what? I think it will be the first way, Adam. I think you're spot on. I think it will be that way. Morocco will keep things very, very tight, make it difficult for Portugal, and try and catch them on that counter attack. Look, I could see this going exactly the same way as the Croatia Brazil game this morning. Uh, look, there's no no question. Cancelo Ramos uh, starts for me instead of Ronaldo. Once again, after his uh, heroics with his hat trick in the last game against Korea Republic, but 
Look, Morocco aiming obviously to be that first ever team to make a semi-final. It would be a wonderful thing if they were to do it. And you know, anything's possible at this World Cup. I'm not going to rule anyone out of these games right now, Adam. It's just so hard to, to pick a winner. Yeah, Ronaldo, he starts on the bench. Again, he's come out on social media saying that uh, don't listen to all the noise. It's um, it's all about the team. No one will be happier if we ended up winning and I stay on the bench and all that. He, he does stay on the bench for this, doesn't he, to start with? <laughs> uh, yeah, he does. But it, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if he come on and it went to penalties and he scores a winning penalty and all is forgiven and he's the man, he's the hero because he'll take that fifth one. But if you look at the Portugal side without him anyway, you know, Bruno Fernandes, Bernardo Silva, Xel Felix, Rafael Leal, I mean, it's scary. It's mm. absolutely scary. And then you put Ramos in there now who's scored a hat-trick. You know, their, their attacking intent there and flair is, is certainly there. So it's going to be difficult for the Moroccans to stop that as well. Yeah, Morocco, they're three clean sheets. And you've seen with Croatia, they've won one, Croatia have won one game. This World Cup, and they're through to a semi-final. It's not. It's not about being flary and and airy and all of that. It's just about being no. resolute. And, and Morocco are certainly that. Uh, what about the other one, mate? England, France. This, this is oh, to to use a Bruce McAvaneyism. This is delicious. Like seriously, the attacking um, output of both sides. If if they both get going, th- this could be an epic. Hopefully it turns out that way. How do you see it? I really hope it is an epic game and we get a bit of a goal fest within this one that two teams that are full of attacking intent, you know, England have been excellent in this tournament, scoring 12 goals already. If history is to go anything by, they've only played each other twice at World Cups and and both times England have come out on top in 66 and in 82. Um, But we know in the Europe, you know, the Euros, you know, France have come out on top a couple of occasions. So, look, with that man Mbappe at the helm for France, they just look unstoppable. You know, again, it's going to be how England stop him. And uh, do they go back to a back five, back slash, back three England? They could do. Does that then ruin their their, their attacking intent and flow. Um, all we'll have to wait and see. I think Henderson does start mm. and he'll go with Foden. And say, I think he'll go with exactly the same team, though, uh, Gareth Southgate as the, as the one previous. But Giroud, Mbappe, Debele, look, they, they look very good. Rabiel's turned into an unbelievable you know, player You know, after being a laughingstock of someone wanting to get him at Manchester United and going, oh, no, he's not good enough. He's, he's now yeah. that number one midfielder in the, in the France, uh, France team. Hey, tactically, if you're France, do you let England have it and try and use your pace in the wider areas, like lull them into a situation where they become imbalanced and then bang? Or do you reckon France will have a 50-50 of it? Look, I think it will be a 50-50, but I don't think that that, that would totally – that would totally suit the French if that was the case, you know, bringing the likes of trying to get Maguire to drive out with it, which we see on many occasions Harry Maguire willing to do so and then giving up the ball in crazy situations. If he does that against France, he's in trouble. With the pace of uh, Dembele and, and obviously Mbappe on the other end, it's, yeah, it's going to be crazy for them. But look again, you know, Harry Kane's now got off the mark. Saka's had a wonderful tournament. Mm. Foden gives you flair. And then what they've got off the bench, England. So if they keep it tight enough, they've got more options than the French to come off the bench in my eyes in this tournament. Um, but if the French score first, I think it's going to be very difficult for England to win this one. Who's playing in the semifinals then on this side of the draw? Oh, oh, you have to give me that. Look, yeah, my, my picks have been so rubbish up until now. Well, everything has to <laughs> turn around, Scotty, eventually. At some point, mate. I know. I'm going to go France, um, and then I'm going to go Portugal and penalties. There you go. There you go. I reckon there's going to be a little upset. I reckon the Moroccans get through. Morocco, France. <laughs> Bit of history between those two, oh, I can tell you as well. Wow. 
Oof. Anyway, um, Scott McDonald, yeah. thank you, mate. Really appreciate your uh, your input on the global game. Thank and you. Opinion as well. Didn't sit on the fence at all there. So, um, yeah, not known to and uh, followed through. Uh, pleasure as always. <laughs> uh, that was Scott McDonald. I was Adam Peacock. And that was the global game for today. We'll be back tomorrow night, same time, same place, uh, 10.30 Australian Eastern Daylight Time for a wrap of these uh, quarterfinals that are on the way. And, of course, on the podcast, we'll drop it during the afternoon at some point. Just search global game. SEN, have a great weekend.